Quite some time ago, I began to develop my own theology of heaven. I'm going to say from the outset that this is going to be very bad theology. It's just wrong. It is neither based on the Bible nor inspired by the Holy Spirit. It is instead based on a very overactive imagination and my own desire to find a new image of heaven other than the one that I created in my head as a child, which was basically day after day, never-ending daylight, sitting on clouds, listening to harp music. So I began to think of heaven as a place that has all of my favorite things, all of them. It has all of your favorite things. My heaven has all of the things I love most, and yours has all of the things you love most, and they are magically able to coexist together so that we can both be in heaven together at the same time. So if one of your favorite things happens to be snakes, then magically in my heaven they're invisible because snakes are in my hell. And the laws of physics and nature do not have to exist because, after all, theology is already bad in my fake heaven. So, for me, the kingdom of heaven is like a scary roadside carnival with a few extra really epic roller coasters. Peaches and strawberries and watermelon grow around every corner. And pizza is always available, and I never feel like I made a bad decision when I eat it. Every night, there is a live concert of my choosing, and I am surrounded by the people that I love dearly. Heaven's not like that. (laughs) I don't really know exactly what heaven is like, but I am quite certain that it is better than even that which is saying something, because I think my image of heaven is pretty fabulous. I blame Jesus a little bit for my bad theology of heaven, because Jesus could have given us a better picture of what the kingdom of heaven is like. There's a lot of things that are a mystery to us as people of faith, because either the Bible doesn't talk about it at all or talks about it rarely, but Jesus talks about heaven a lot. He talks about heaven more than prayer, more than making disciples. I believe in Matthew alone, Jesus talks about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven 32 times. And the scripture that we were reading earlier from Matthew, if we had read the whole chapter, we would have seen eight lessons about the kingdom of heaven. Eight in that one chapter But despite spending all of this time talking about the kingdom of heaven and teaching the crowd and the disciples about it, we're still left with these mysterious kind of metaphors and analogies that string together these images of what heaven is like. Because Jesus had this habit of teaching us in parables. Parables are beautiful. They're artistic stories, and they illuminate this larger idea by relating it to something different. But they are clear as mud. These stories, they challenge us and they convict us from the very first time we hear them. 
but they are so rich and they are so layered that when we hear this parable for the tenth time or the hundredth time, we discover something brand new in them that has always been there, but just unseen to us. So we're not given this photograph of the kingdom of heaven by Jesus. We are given parables, many of them. They're windows into this larger reality, and we can see differently through those windows given how we're standing or what sort of light we're looking through that window in. In Matthew especially, the kingdom of heaven becomes really important right from the get-go. Almost from the beginning, John the Baptist comes onto the scene and he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then Jesus, when he is baptized by John the Baptist one chapter later, Jesus comes out of the water and he says the same thing. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then Jesus' very first sermon, it's that really famous one, you know, the one we call the Sermon on the Mount that has the Beatitudes. The very first thing out of Jesus' mouth in that sermon is, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Note that Jesus does not say us or you. Jesus says they. Not blessed are us who are poor in spirit, but blessed are they who are poor in spirit, for them belongs the kingdom of heaven. From almost the very beginning, Jesus calls the disciples and the crowd to look beyond themselves, to see that his message is so much bigger than their small chosen group. Whatever this heaven place is, it is a place of comfort, of mercy, peace, and righteousness. In this kingdom, there is no persecution, there is no mourning, no hunger or thirst. And whatever this heaven place is, it belongs not to kings or to great businessmen or businesswomen, but to the world's most downtrodden and powerless. And from the beginning, we see that the kingdom of heaven, whatever it is, is here. My carnival and concert image of heaven is a future place in my imagination. It is something that I will get to one day. And it's pretty separated from the way I live my life right now. But a strange thing starts happening when Jesus gets onto the scene. This idea of kingdom of heaven, it is certainly future-oriented. It is a promise. But heaven is a reality now. He makes it clear that it can be not yet, and it can be already. Jesus comes to not just reveal that this is something that we can look forward to one day because Jesus comes to start building this kingdom now and calls us into a life where we work with God to continue building that reality each and every day. 
So by the time in Matthew that we get to our parables today, we know that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. And it's not just for us, but it's for them, whoever that is. And it is a place marked not by glory and power for the glorious and the powerful, but this kingdom of heaven is marked by comfort and peace for those who mourn and who are unsettled. So our five parables that we get today, we get five more windows. Five more stories into seeing what this heaven thing is like. And for the first two, Jesus is telling these two to the huge, large crowd. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like two of the most ordinary, earthy, banal items on the planet. First, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. A mustard seed? I can only imagine how absolutely unimpressive that probably sounded at first to the crowd. The parable highlights the most obvious aspect of this analogy. A mustard seed is tiny. One hand can hold hundreds of them. It's barely larger than the head of a pencil. But take one seed and plant it, and before too terribly long, this seed has transformed into an impressively large shrub that can grow so wide and so potentially tall that it provides shade and protection to animals of all sorts and space aplenty for the birds of the air to build their nest. But even more than that, mustard is a trash weed. Jesus could have said that the kingdom of heaven is like a mighty cedar seed or even a fig tree seed, some mighty strong plant, or at least a plant that produces fruit, that gives nourishment or a little bit of pleasure. But the mustard, it's the kudzu of their world. (laughs) It's invasive. Once it takes root, it grows out of control and it takes over. And since the seeds are so small, it can easily get mixed in with the seeds that the farmer is, att- is really choosing, intending to plant, so that the farmer plants these kudzu-like creations right alongside the crop that he's actually hoping for. And second, Jesus says... The kingdom of heaven is like yeast. A woman who takes yeast and mixes it with flour. Many moons ago, I used to work at a bakery. Now, I was not one of the bakers. I was a bread shaper and kneader and seller. But I got to watch the bakers at work. And I would watch them take their giant mixing bowls with their human-sized mixers and put together... Five simple ingredients, flour, water, honey, salt, and yeast. They would combine these ingredients until they formed this gooey mixture at the bottom of the bowl, and then they would put a lid on the bowl, and they would set it aside for a couple of hours. And by the time we brought that bowl over to the kneading table and took that lid off, 
it was completely full of this thick, heavy dough. It was so unwieldy that we would have to punch it down to control it a little, and then we had these giant knives, and we would saw off hunks of it so it would be in pieces light enough for us to hoist out of the mixing bowl and throw it onto the table so we could work with it. And if the baker ever forgot to put the yeast in, we actually didn't realize it at first because the yeast made no difference at all in the look of the original dough. But it wasn't until a couple hours later when we took that lid off and we saw that what was in the mixing bowl was the same wet, gooey clump that we started with. But with this one tiny ingredient, the least quantity of the ingredients that we put in it, every day I watched a transformation. The image, it's ordinary, it's earthy, And it's lovely. But it's also surprising because as much as leavened bread tastes delicious, yeast is corrupt. Elsewhere in the Bible, the word leaven is used to talk about the nature of sin. Sin starts off as a small, almost inconsequential thing but it can slowly corrupt the body or the community until it takes over. It spoils. It overwhelms. So the kingdom of heaven is like a trash weed and an agent of corruption. Sign me up, please. Yeah. Sign me up. Because the kingdom of heaven is like the tiniest thing. Something that at first seems to be so utterly inconsequential. And then even when it grows, it might be seen by others as a nuisance. Despite the miracle of its transformation. But this utterly astounding act of this tiny seed sprouting roots and branches and leaves over and over and over again, God realizes that this is no trash weed, but a tree of life, providing shelter for the small and the most vulnerable of God's creation. And the kingdom of heaven is like a tiny amount of yeast, It takes over these ordinary but useful ingredients for bread and begins a transformation that feeds multitudes. The kingdom of heaven is overlooked, hidden. It starts out small and unnoticed, and many would argue that it might be a bit of a nuisance, but the kingdom of heaven is shocking in its ability to transform. And if God can use a tiny seed as an agent for his transforming power and turn a nuisance weed into God's kingdom, what can God do with us? If God can see an impurity and an imperfection like yeast as a needed and necessary ingredient for his perfection, what can God do with us? So Jesus tells the crowd these two parables. 
And I'm sure he totally sells them on the idea of a realm of God that is less thrones and diamonds and more weeds and dough. But then Jesus tells three more parables to the disciples alone. He tells them first that the kingdom of heaven is like someone who finds a treasure. They find this treasure and they want it all for themselves, so they bury it in a field and they sell everything that they have so they can have enough money to buy that field and then own that treasure outright. And the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who sells pearls. Every day that merchant culls through the pearls looking for the ones that are valuable that he can sell. But one day, the merchant finds that absolutely perfect and beautiful pearl. And he has to sell everything he owns to go out and buy it so he can have it. Matthew makes it clear elsewhere in Matthew's gospel that the disciples were a little different than the crowds. Jesus taught them a little more and showed them a little more because he believed they were capable of more. At times, they were capable of getting it. So they were gifted more knowledge. And they were also tasked with more responsibility. So the parables that they get about the kingdom of heaven... Those parables tell the disciples, you are like a merchant and a person in the field. You know how precious this kingdom is. So if the merchant and the worker would sell everything just to keep hold of the pearl and the treasure, what will you do to keep hold of the kingdom? Do you see the mustard seed and the yeast as so precious that you will devote your life to it? And then the final parable is different. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, is like a net. Fishermen put the net in the water and it pulls in all sorts of fish. And then when the catch is safely in the boat, the good fish are sorted from the bad fish. Jesus thankfully actually explains this one. He does that rarely. So Jesus tells the disciples that they are going to do all sorts of work casting nets, and drawing people into God's kingdom. But when all that work is done, it will be the angels and God, not the disciples, who will sort through it all. The disciples are called to bring people to the kingdom, not decide who should be included or excluded. So as I sit here, stand here, As a 40-something-year-old mother and minister in Decatur, Georgia, in 2023, this is the part of the sermon where I ask myself, and I ask us as a church, so what? Why do some parables about the kingdom of Jesus that Jesus told ages ago have anything to do with my life now? What do they have anything to do with how we operate as the body of Christ here in Decatur, Georgia? How are they more helpful than my own ridiculous concoction of roller coasters and concerts? Here's what. If we take these parables seriously, then we see that Jesus gives us a promise and a hope that one day, 
we will be fully immersed in a reality where mourning is no more, where the world makes sense, where death cannot reign, where peace is like air, and both our physical and our spiritual hungers are a thing of the past. Hallelujah. But perhaps even more than that, we see that this kingdom has already begun. God set it in motion ages ago. The mustard seed was planted and the yeast was mixed in, and Jesus does two things. First, Jesus assures us all that we are already, already covered by the leaves of that tree, protected by its shade and housed in its branches. We are already tasting from the bread of life. We are already being transformed along with the seed and the yeast into something utterly astonishing in the eyes of our God. And second, we are already, already called to be a part of this kingdom's creation. We are not just invited to it, we are invited to do it. Because this kingdom of heaven, if it is indeed as precious as a pearl, if it is indeed as priceless as a treasure, then what are we doing to hold on to it? What are we doing to cast our nets to bring more people to this kingdom, to bring this kingdom to the very people that Jesus promised it to. My vision of heaven does little more than entertain. It promises little and it calls me to nothing. But Jesus gives us these snapshots of a kingdom of heaven that promises everything and calls us to a work right now that is so astonishing and transforming that the whole world is caught up in it. Praise be to God for that promise, and may we step into that challenge each and every day that we are covered in this kingdom.